This is Vixen John, creator of Minute Made New York, and you're listening to Minutes Heard. On this episode of Minutes Heard, we're talking entrepreneurs. A part of being from New York is all about the hustle. Waking up every day and going out and get it. Our motivations drive us to start our own businesses, pursue our hobbies, and turn them into passions, which could hopefully lead us to making some money on the side. These following ladies have defined what it means to be about their business as they share why they decided to make their work work for them. Sit back and take a listen. So the saddest moment of my life was when my grandmother passed. Um, I was 18 and it was the first real loss that I've ever experienced. But it was also a turning point in my life because it made me realize that no one's here forever and you have to appreciate people while they're here. Um, It also made me realize that I have to do whatever I was put here to do before my time gets taken away. That's it. It needs to be more because it's only 30 seconds. No, that was fine. No, let's okay. No, but it has to be. So let's answer (laughs) answer another question. Like what? What? What motivates you? What are you passionate? What are you passionate? A little bit just now. How about we talk about? why you like to do makeup? It's okay. I talk about like why you like doing makeup. What does it make? How does it make you feel? Okay. Um, I've always wanted to help people, and the only way that I knew how to do that was through makeup artistry and hairstyling. So I took that and I ran with it, and so far so good. Hopefully, better things are to come. And I don't know what else to say. Just speak from your heart, man. Just speak from your heart. Um. Talk about what are you passionate about? Besides makeup? Just anything else outside of makeup. Just what are you passionate about? What, are you... what about what drives me? Yeah, what drives you? Okay. Um, the thing that drives me most is probably my daughter. Um, she looks up to me in a way that no one else has ever looked up to me before, and it's like I'm her hero. And I know because of her, I have to succeed. There's no other way. What motivates you to get up every day and make the best of it? I make the best of it? What is your motivation? Um, I don't know. Ever since I was a kid, I, I had a desire to help people. So I guess waking up and finding a purpose to bring joy to people's lives. I, that's a really interesting question. I don't know. I just wake up and live life. There's really nothing that motivates me. It's a positive attitude. I did sales, uh, outdoor sales for five years. So... I have that already instilled in me that like you just make the best of it and stuff happens and you just gotta smile through it. <laughs> but um, yeah, I just want to help people. Um, so right now, what is your current occupation? And if you <laughs> could have a dream job, what would it be? My current occupation is freelancer. So I have a real estate license, life insurance license. I'm going for my securities, um, but I'm an entrepreneur at heart. So I'm starting to. Um, businesses. One is called the Intimacy School, which you were just at. (laughs) And um, that helps people communicate with others via body, mind, and spirit um, so that you can have better relationships with your friends, family, co-workers, or your partner. Um, Because communication is a key and I find that most people stop talking or stop being friends or stop being partners because they fail to communicate. Um, And then I'm doing the Up of the Homeless Project. which is a project where we list all the resources for homeless people to go to so that they know what options they have. 
But in the long run, I would love to create housing for the homeless and give them job opportunities with local entrepreneurs and businesses so that they can get off the streets and then start having a normal life and then get into affordable housing so that they can just go back into society. And um, talk about your first instance of where you did something or like, I guess, one of your jobs, one of your... I guess projects to like help people. Like, what was that experience? Like your first experience, like doing good for someone or people or organization. Like, what was that first experience like? Oh, first experience. I don't know. It's like inbred from childhood. Like my family helps people, so I think it's like familiar karma that is passed on. But um, I guess volunteering for the gay men's health crisis and Life Beat, um, the music industry fights AIDS. Uh, I went to St. Francis Prep, so they, they made us volunteer when we were younger. And um, I think when I was volunteering at the Gay Men's Health Crisis, I learned a lot about um, people who contracted HIV from their spouses. And, um, and just, like, listening to them and the fact that people just... I think people just want someone to listen to them, you know? And then after hearing people's stories and just hearing things that, I guess you could say, um, sh were shocking to someone of my age and I think to anybody it just makes you realize that like a lot of stuff is going on that you don't see like people are suffering in silence and I decided that I wanted to do something like the intimacy school so that people that are suffering in silence can come out and have a voice and have somebody listen and then get some advice or get some kind of coaching so that they can get past this and then open themselves and be vulnerable again to be in a relationship full of love because a lot of us just hide and get into a shell and then you know, we get lost in ourselves. And I learned that then, at that, at that early age, volunteering, of how, like, people can just lose faith and lose trust and then just shut down. So I, I like helping people verbally by listening and then and trying to help them through whatever they're going through. Um, today, what has been your most fulfilling or most exciting or most rewarding project or freelance experience that you've come um, there's not anything that's public. Most of the things that I do are private that I do for people. Like, I, I've let a ton of people stay in my house. I, I don't believe in letting anybody sleep on the streets. So if I find out that you're sleeping in an elevator, which one of my friends were, which I think is insane, um, I'm like, you can crash on my couch, you can stay at my house. Like, So just knowing that I'm there for people and that I guess I'm holding them down and I'm helping them get through that, to me that's more rewarding than all the things that are public and that people see. It's the stuff that you do when nobody's right. looking that makes me feel better at the end of the day. Yeah, I know. Um, so, recall a story or experience. Like, you just like tell a story about anything that you've done throughout the past however long. What's a memorable story about like, helping someone or like someone helping you maybe or like do your work? Or just in your, your personal life, like you call a memorable story that you know you don't mind sharing. So kind of hits home. Wow, um, I think the well, there's two of them because they're like intertwined. I'm actually writing a book about that, but um, I guess one of them would be a girl that was in an abusive relationship, and she was telling me that her boyfriend was an alcoholic and he's like starting to push her. So I was like, you need to come stay with me. And I went to her house, and we packed everything up, and she came and stayed on my couch for a couple of weeks, um, and then ended up moving into the, my building, um, and leaving shortly after that. Um, 
but yeah, I don't want to. It's all Yeah. And we actually were. We actually were in a, a newspaper article. I mean, a magazine article from that. Is <laughs> our friendship via TaskRabbit blossomed into this friendship, and it was interesting. But that's the most recent thing. Um, I mean, I still help people. I still have people's backs and stuff like that. But that's like the most recent one that. That was big. Well, what I do is I create these little bags for the homeless, and I have a lot of clients that are always giving away their stuff, and they're really nice things, and they donate. They donated to um, nonprofits that end up throwing out half of the stuff, you know, like the Salvation Army and things like that. So what I do is I take those items, I put them into little bags, um, like of clothes, shampoo, conditioner, a hairbrush, and then whenever a homeless person asks me for money, I give them the bag. And then that way they actually can go into a bathroom and wash their hair and, you know, clean up and, and feel human again. Because sometimes the reason that they look homeless is because they don't have these simple things that we take for granted. So, you know, I'm, I'm up for donations and stuff like that. If anybody wants to donate anything, I create these bags. I go out to Hunts Point in the Bronx, um, Port Authority, around here in the city. And then um, Williamsburg is really big now with homelessness. Um, so whenever I see people, I just hook them up with these little bags. And a lot of them are mostly grateful for it because it's little things that they need that make them feel human again. All right, so to begin, um, just, yeah, we're talking. Yeah. Don't, don't worry about that. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right, so what uh, motivates you to wake up every day and get going? What's your drive? What pushes you to just, you know, start your day, you know? Uh, I am just highly motivated to make this business successful. So I started the Noble Experiment um, with a vision to bring rum distilling back to New York and change uh, American consumers' perception on the rum category and what rum is, how to use it, how to drink it, how to order it, how to decipher what's on, you know, what's what on the shelf. And so that... um, that vision drives me to grow the business on a daily basis. Um, and that's why I work, you know, 14 hours a day, seven days a week. Okay, cool, cool. Um, so, really quick, just synopsis-wise. Yeah. Just synopsis, like, what you do and yeah. here. And, yeah, just really just wrap it up. And, cool. You know, uh, so I founded the Noble Experiment in NYC about four years ago. We are a boutique rum distillery in Bushwick, Brooklyn, New York, and we make an all-natural, non-GMO uh, white rum here called Oni's. Okay, cool. One shorter than that, or no, no, longer no, no, no. than that, no, no, or no, shorter no, 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 no. than that? That's fine. Okay, That's perfect. Cool. Um, so I guess I, you know, let's get the story portion out of the way because I, I'm usually very. Interesting. Interested to hear yeah. stories people have. So, throughout this whole experience, yeah. you know, even before we go there, I'm sorry. I'm yeah, jumping back. that's okay. Um, what was one of the challenges in getting all this together for you uh-huh. throughout the process? I mean, there have been a tremendous amount of challenges what throughout is- this whole process. Um, you know, any sort of build-out or construction of a manufacturing site here in uh, New York City is a challenge with the Department of Buildings and contractors and permitting and all that stuff. Um, So that seemed like it would never end. And then once that ended, the real challenge began, right? So 
selling is a constant everyday challenge for us and brand building in a market that is heavily influenced by major brands, heavily consolidated corporations, lots of marketing and sales money. Um, so we have to really get creative on a day-to-day basis on how we're going to brand build with limited resources and limited people. Right. And from those challenges, um, could you recall like the first, and I guess this just kind of be the story, but like throughout the whole process of getting everything together from the start to, yeah. you know, well, I, I guess you could say now, but from the start to when this place started, yep. you know, um, can you recall like your first victory? Like what was like the first thing that was like, yes, like this moment solidifies us or it solidifies you like being in the right track. Um, I think when the company was the first real national press recognition for the company, which was at um, Forbes 30 Under 30, um, that was in 2000 and end of 2012, named for 2013. Um, that was a tremendous honor for me at the time, and still is. And I think that sort of helped me see that wow, like there is a major publication awarding this place that, you know, I'm kind of in the weeds every day just trying to, um, you know, check things off my to-do list, Uh, and it's hard to see, like, the greater picture and what's actually been accomplished, and when somebody else recognizes that for you, it hopefully makes you stop, take a beat, and think, and, like, look back and say, wow, like, I was able to sort of start moving a mountain with um, very little manpower. Cool. That's definitely a good moment. Yeah, yeah. I think everybody wants to you know, that. and I'm I'm very appreciative of every new account we get on. Like, still, you know, every new account we get on, every new um, consumer we introduce a product to that likes it. Like, I consider every single person that I have an experience with, you know, in that regard to be a win. So whether it be someone that's in the industry or a general consumer, something going from a back bar placement to someone making an awesome cocktail with it, all of that continues to motivate me and excite me. And, um, you know, I still get excited when I walk into a place and I see Oni's on the shelf. Right. Cool. Okay. So the last question, the big one. Ah. Um, Well, the big one, but it's one I usually like to ask. So share a story, like memorable moment of this whole process, like, the one that comes to mind. It doesn't have to be, like, you know, just a memorable moment yeah. of, like, you know, like, crazy or, like, wow, or, ah, oh, I can't ever forget when, you know. Yeah. Um, so I have two good stories sure, with, yeah. uh, in regards to that. Uh, they're funny and sort of, in my opinion, represent the struggle of, like, the small business owner. Um, so actually the first time I distilled here, uh, we had set up the equipment months in advance and we had been waiting on all of these permitting things with the city, the boiler, getting inspected, yada, yada, yada. So everything can kind of had sat here for a while before I could turn anything on. And I had forgotten that, um, one of the light bulbs broke in the back of the still when, um, they were installing it. So there was a, basically a 
fixture of the still that was removed, leaving like a because I was supposed to replace the light bulb and put the you know put the fixture back on, um, but I had slipped my mind in those couple of months, and so there's a big hole, gaping hole in the back of the pot of the still. So I'm distilling, I'm here by myself. It was one woman show for like the first two years, and the still is getting hotter, and obviously the liquid, the mash in the still starts boiling, and kind of like okay not really knowing what to expect because it's my first time doing this. And all of a sudden, like, flaming hot fermented wash starts shooting out of the hole in the back of the still up to the ceiling and just, like, it's like a geyser that's, like, shooting out and, like, down across all over the back wall. And I'm like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? And instinctually, stupidly, very stupid idea, but it was my instinct. I ran under the geyser of hot um, uh, fermented wash that was spewing everywhere, and I was able to take a cap from a different um, piece of equipment and and screw it onto the hole as things were shooting out. I was covered in molasses. Um, Thankfully, I was not burned or anything like that. Um, So that's one story, and that was literally the first time I turned on the still here. Um, and then my second favorite, like, silly story in the distillery is I call the great Meadow Street molasses spill. And uh, uh, as I said, like, I didn't have any help for the first couple of years, and I was mashing here, which meant which is like the first step in the production process, and we are adding the molasses to the mash tank. But I also do tours here on Saturdays. And I needed to get the molasses into the mash tank in order to time it so that I could go run, do the tour, and then the mash would be on course properly. So I'm putting the molasses into the tank. I realize that the tour is like people are arriving for the tour. I'm trying to get the molasses in the tank faster and tipping a drum at the time um, into the tank. And so these chains hang down from the forklift and you kind of use the chains to tilt the to- uh, tilt the, the drum into the tank. Well, because I was rushing and not paying attention because I could hear people in the tasting room being like, where is an employee? Like, are we in the right place? I like lost grip of the chains and the, to- um, the drum just kind of went upside down and started pouring all over the floor. Meanwhile, there are like 20 people in the tasting room like waiting for a tour. It's a million degrees in here. I start freaking out, like sweating. There's molasses everywhere. And I'm just like, I don't even know how to start cleaning up this molasses. Like it is, so I just start taking our power washer and like shooting the molasses, trying to like get it to unstickify from the floor and uh, throwing paper towels on it because that was going to really do something. And at some point, I was just like, you know what? Like, screw it. Uh, I'm just going to walk in and be honest and be like, this is what the type of stuff that happens in a distillery. And uh, you will have the exclusive um, access to see the biggest molasses spill we've had here. So that's how I started the tour. And, of course, everyone got a big kick out of it and and saw real life back here. So um, I will tell you that spilling molasses is not um, a fun fun activity to ha- have happen here. Yeah, I can imagine. It's a sticky situation. Yeah. Good one. So, Danae. 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 Danae, we have any pointer. Nice. All right, Danae. Good thing I got your name right.
right. Oh, so nice. um, <laughs> good way to start. Good way to start screwing up your name. It's okay. It happens every day. <laughs> every day. Well, you can imagine with my name, it's probably hard. Vixen. Too. Never forget it. Very Unless true. it's Vixon. No, it's there's no accent on the Vixon. <laughs> Vixon. Vixon Jean. No, I'm not French. Are you Haitian? No. Oh. I'm, well, I'm from here, but my family's from Grenada. Oh, Grenada. Yeah, so. Very cool. Quite Grenadian in some cases. Mm-hmm. Anyway, mm-hmm. <laughs> off topic. Okay, so. Um, what is your motivation to get up every day and make the best of it? Um, I would have to say that my motivation to get up every day is really to make other people's lives better. Um, I have a background in public service, but I decided to start this company, to take a leap and start the company, um, and really go out of my comfort zone and leave the corporate environment to see if I could do it on my own and make an impact using my idea. So I think, you know, through the process of researching what I could do through True Nude, I learned that, you know, what we're doing is really special um, and it really is transformative for women. So I want to make it happen and I have to wake up in order to do that. Awesome. Good stuff. Yeah, very true. You do have to wake up. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of us. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So briefly just talk about what true nude is um just very very briefly like what is true nude what's i guess the mission so to speak and kind of just go through that process okay um so i founded true nude to ensure that every woman has a bra that matches her skin tone um and all it takes is a selfie uh the way that i got into this really was that i wanted women to feel valued and i wanted to give women options Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> no, 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 okay. All right, that's it. No, I, I, oh, no, no, no. Keep it simple. No, it okay. doesn't have to be like... No, because I usually go on and on and on, <laughs> oh, so no, I had no, to no, like no. break it into like sound bites, but I don't want it to sound yeah, stager. Sound, yeah, you don't have to just be yourself. Okay. Just go through it. Okay. You don't have to... This is not like an official government interview. <laughs> like, I told you. I know. It, okay. Just be yourself. Just be Danae and just say what... Say... Say... Like, you're talking to a regular person. Like, okay. hey, like, I just get started with, I'm a regular person. Okay. <laughs> you know, so. so. should I do the motivation question again? Or no, 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 okay? no, that's fine. The motivation question was fine. Um, okay. I'm going to ask other questions too. This is just, you know, but if that's the presence or essence of true news. No, 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 that's fine. No, so I created true news to ensure that every woman has a bra that matches her skin tone and all it takes is a selfie um, to do it. Uh Essentially, I really just want women to have options and to make women feel valued because when you go to buy underwear, like, you know, you know your size, you go to Target, you get your pack of Hanes. It's like buying beer, you know? (laughs) It's very simple. For us, it's a nightmare. You have to go to the store, dig through rows and rows of bras. Nothing is sized the same across brands. If you want to have a sexy, seamless look under your clothes, you can't find it because nude is always in tan or beige. And if I want to get fit correctly, I need a stranger to feel me up. It's really uncomfortable and really impersonal. So I was trying to find a way to make women feel valued um, and make the experience easier um, using new technology. And that's, you know what true nude is we're trying to make your most personal garments personal 
That sounded very staged. It did? No, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. I like the line. I like the line. Trying to make... Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just... just Teasing you. But you're not. No, I like the line, though. Okay. That line was... Is that the slogan? Is that... Yeah. Okay, yeah. That's what I'm saying. That's cool that you dropped it in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all. (laughs) That's always the end goal. Right. Is making your most personal garments personal. Yeah, that's dope. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) No, it's a dope line. That's, That's why I put it up. Um... So what is your experience um, with True Nude in the sense of like how, like, is there a story behind how you decided to kind of go with this concept where it's like, you were, for example, you were shopping? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So what's your so, personal story when it comes to this? What happened was a couple, well, I guess to back up, I always hated my chest area and I always hated buying bras, so I never did it. I would find something that worked and I would wait until... It started stabbing me in the side or I needed to get something. Like, that's just the essence of Bob Ryan for most people. So, I was in three weddings one year a couple of years ago, and I finally had to go and get fit and find something that worked. And in particular, I needed to find a nude bra for me. Because uh, I was in these weddings and it needed to blend in so that it didn't peek through the dresses. So I went and I got fit for the first time. And I had the experience with the woman feeling me up, and it was really uncomfortable, but I found something that worked that was extremely expensive. And when I asked them if they had it in my skin, the owner of the store said, oh no, that doesn't exist. So I spent some time after that thinking about this idea of the color nude, um, and the fact that it is impossible to find something that matches what I look like, and also that is in my size. Um, and that feels comfortable and good. So as time went on, you know, I was working as a consultant at Bloomberg, but I knew that, you know, I could have the comfort and security of this job, or I could take a leap and try and explore this idea uh, using my own intelligence and strength and know-how. So I took the chance and I did a lot of research and now we're kickstarting it. So hopefully we'll be able to do something that's really meaningful for women. Okay. Um, through this process and journey, like what have been some of the most, more challenging um, parts to it? Or um, you just name like one challenging experience that you had with kind of like bringing this concept together. I think it adds back to your original question of motivation. Like being an entrepreneur is really hard. I don't have that standard structure of waking up at 7 a.m. and going out and motivating myself to make cities better or whatever it is that that mission is for that other company. It's all me. So, you know, staying on target, remembering what the end game is and making women's lives better and just pushing, kicking the ball down the field. Um, is very challenging. And now that we're kickstarting it, it's also, you know, you have to reach that goal. You have to keep pushing. You have to understand who your audience is. And then you have to deliver the rewards. I'm confident that we can do it because we've already proven that we can. Um, but, you know, it's just maintaining that momentum and dealing with the fact that there's nobody else there to catch you if you fall. You just have to go for it. Um, another question. Uh, 
what is what have what has been like to the people close to you, like friends, family? Like, mm-hmm. what has been their reaction to what you're doing? Has it been positive? Has it been kind of not to say negative, but has it just been neutral? Like, like for example, when you first like told your friends about this idea, like how did they respond? Um, it really resonates with people because it's so obvious in a way, but you just don't think about it. So the fact that I decided to leave an amazing job to pursue it, you know, people are really impressed. I think my mom was really scared, like, what the hell are you doing? (laughs) You're leaving that job to go do bras? Like, what? Uh, But for the most part, I think people are encouraging and they want to see it succeed. And they see the value of giving women options and, you know, creating something new that will benefit people. Okay. Um, a couple more questions. Cues. Make sure this is still recording, which it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, if you can, just in the sense of like a quick story or story, like what has been one of the most memorable moments throughout this process for you so far? Um, I think probably the most exciting moment was after we made our prototypes, we did the testing, we did the surveys, I met with dozens of women, uh, and then I made prototypes based on the color match and the technology that we were testing. Um, And I got to sit there and do this unveiling with these women and see their reaction to seeing their true nude and feeling their bras and putting it on. And honestly, it was, amazing it was more than I expected that it would be you know I really like I knew that this was important and I knew that people would like it but seeing it in real time and giving women that experience and making women feel special and seeing their skin um that was really amazing and I really you know I wake up every morning trying to kind of replicate that on a grander scale but it wasn't until we put all the pieces together that it really hit me that I've got something here that I think a lot of people will enjoy and appreciate. Okay. Um, I guess like one more question that I can think of. So in the sense of this venture, mm-hmm. right, um, where do you see it going outside of like bras, for example, do you see it expanding to panties maybe? Mm-hmm. Or is it just like, you know, where do you want to see this um, idea that you obviously came up with? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you want to see it flourish? So, you know, the first thing that I did when, or I guess, okay, backing up. Initially, the idea for True Nude came about when I was trying to find bras in my skin tone. But then I went to work and I looked around at everybody's feet and I saw all of these Caucasian women were wearing nude shoes. And I'm like, I can't wear nude shoes, that's ridiculous. So originally when I got riled up about it, it was because of the shoes. Um, And then after some time thinking about what we actually need and what we wear on a daily basis, it came to me that bras and panties would be the most valuable thing. So for a for our Kickstarter, we're offering panties and bras. We're doing sets. But, you know, 
I spent time interviewing women across all professions and fields, and we met with dancers who were looking for leotards. Um, we met with people who wanted undershirts. Uh, we met with people who wanted slips. So there is a huge field of potential for what we could offer down the line once we're able to validate just the bra and panty piece. Um, and honestly, you know, I researched and surveyed women and 70% said we're looking for a t-shirt bra that can be worn every day in our skin tone. And lo and behold, on our Kickstarter, the highest seller thus far is a t-shirt bra. So we're confirming what we already knew, but I think the field of potential is, you know, pretty huge. Thanks for listening to this episode of Minutes Heard. Make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. And follow or subscribe to Minute Man New York on Facebook, Instagram, and on YouTube. Do you have a minute?